0: you're listening to episode 188 of the marathon running podcast in this episode we're going to talk about nutrition this is the marathon running podcast by letty and ryan from we got the runs join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational educational And inspirational, and let the Marathon Running Podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond. Hey runners and welcome to the Marathon Running Podcast. My name is Letty. My name is Ryan. And we wish you a Merry Christmas.
1: This is the Christmas edition of the podcast.
0: Which only happens every few years because...
1: Our podcast drops on Mondays, and so Christmas would have to fall on a Monday. There's definitely a way to calculate that, and I can't do it off the top of my head how many times our podcast will follow on Christmas.
0: Yeah, but like you said earlier, highly likely people might not be listening to this episode on Christmas Day.
1: Unless you're an early morning running le- runner like Letty, and you get your run in before anyone's even awake.
0: Yes, those kids don't wake up till 6.30, 7.30, well, 6.30 Christmas edition kids. And I know I have to be back at that time, because obviously I don't want to miss it. But
1: what a better way to start a day than with a run after which you're going to be spending time with family, opening presents, and eating Christmas dinner.
0: Yes, lots of food at the end of the year, not just on Christmas Day, obviously, or Christmas Eve. The entire month of December is filled with extra treats and cookies. I feel like it almost starts with Halloween, and then it just goes downhill from there. We start drinking more alcohol because there's more parties, and you don't want to run around empty-handed. You know how it goes, so...
1: Well, Thanksgiving! You're right. I didn't think about Halloween candy, so... Now that it's Christmas, and now Christmas dinner is over, time to, or is going to soon be over, time to think about your nutrition.
0: Exactly. And we already established that Ryan is not a New Year's resolution person, but we all are. So let's make this New Year's (laughs) resolution to do better next year. And for that reason, we have a guest today.
1: So how'd you find, and who is our guest, and how'd you find them?
0: Our guest is Megan Featherston from Featherstone Nutrition. I found her, well, she was recommended to me by many, many friends and listeners. They follow her on Instagram. So for the last month or so, I've been looking at her website. She has a lot of cool blogs and recipes and seems to be a great person that is pretty blunt and honest with everything nutrition. And as I found out on the podcast, she's also super fast. So she puts her, what do you say? She puts her money where her mouth is? Something like that. Yeah. No, that's good. Okay, good.
1: (laughs) So what's give us an overview. What kind of things did you ask or talk about?
0: Yeah. So we started with a chat that is very general about nutrition for marathon runners. And then I just asked her about some topics that a couple of friends of mine discussed with me that are not the norm questions like gluten sensitivity in runners, perimenopausal running, fastest running, coffee intake, running for vegans, hydration strategies, and things of that nature, just to kind of give you a little bit of a taste of what she is about, because I feel like There are a lot of options when it comes to learning more from her in the future.
1: And as always, you'll probably provide links in the description for people that want to find out more information. So anytime you find somebody that makes you want to learn more, you can always find out more.
0: Exactly. And hopefully we'll get to have her on um, again in the future. But before, obviously, we make those promises, let's uh, play our conversation with her.
1: Okay. So without any further ado.
0: We're now going to hear from Megan Featherston. All right. So I'm on with Megan Featherstone. Megan, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. And for the people listening that don't know about you and your business, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yes, I am a sports dietitian. So the bread and butter of what I do is working with runners and helping them optimize their performance nutrition so that they can run harder, faster, hit their PRs, recover better, be present in their daily lives because they're fueling their runs well, and then also daily nutrition. So, you know, we we do it all over here. I love it. And you're a runner yourself. I am. That's what got me interested in this. So I was a dietitian long before I was a sports dietitian and I decided to run a marathon, never run a race in my life. It was like, sure, why not start with a marathon? It's big, it's scary. I don't know if I can do it. Let's do it. Barely broke four hours. And that was in 2009 and have run quite a few marathons since then. And PR'd at the ripe age of 40 this fall at Berlin with a 249. So it's been quite the journey and a very fun um, experiment. I use myself as like a guinea pig of nutrition. I didn't take any gels in my first marathon. I only drank a few sips of water, and now I'm feeling like a boss, taking in all the sodium. You know, so it's it's fun to to be involved in what we're passionate about and what we teach and all that kind of stuff. Wow, that's amazing. Two forty nine. That's uh, obviously
0: we're going to read all of this to nutrition. One
2: hundred percent no training involved.
0: (laughs) But I'm sure that's a huge chunk of it. And so I guess we can hop into that general talk about nutrition. How does having the right fueling really change your marathon? Because I'm one of the people that used to just, you know, sometimes I'll take a gel, sometimes not. If it's not a race, I don't really carry anything because I don't want to. How
2: does having that right strategy really help you? So taking a step back to like the training aspect and then into race day. So if we are fueling our training runs well, so our workouts and then also obviously all our long runs we can actually perform better out there and gain more fitness and recover more quickly so that we can bounce back and continue to push the bar a little bit more. So if we're fueling our training runs, even though we can, quote unquote, get through it without nutrition, we can actually push our fitness further and gain more fitness to be able to perform better on race day. And then if we practice our nutrition on all of our long runs, when we go to do that on race day, we can tolerate it, right? We can actually train our GI tract to be able to tolerate the nutrition and the hydration that we need to keep up with that optimal performance. So my big thing is like, From a performance nutrition standpoint, we want to make sure that we are fueling our body so that it has the nutrition and the energy that it needs to be able to perform at the top of our fitness level. Whatever that fitness level is, whether it's PR shape for us or we're just getting back into it and we're just trying to run the best we can on that day. Nutrition is literally the secret sauce behind being able to fit to hit our fitness potential at any of these races.
0: That's awesome. And so, then with that, what are some key things to pay attention to, and some big no nos that you would tell everybody listening?
2: Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of some no nos. I'm sure I have so many. Um, so maybe we'll we'll focus first on the things that to actually do right. So I always have people make sure that we're we practicing our pre run fueling, right? So like, don't try anything new on race day. We know that across the board, not just in nutrition. And so making sure that. Whatever we've trained with, we practiced with, we do again on race day, we just scale up the amount because we're about to ask our body to do something that we don't normally do in training. So for me, I run very early in the morning, like out the door at 445. So I literally just shove a couple of graham crackers in my mouth and head out the door because it doesn't take as long to digest. So then I used to switch and take like a bagel on race day, but now I'm like, this is silly. I train every day with graham crackers. So I literally eat like six to eight graham crackers before my marathon, like just keep it that easy. Right. So we like find what works and then we scale it up to what we need to do before, um, you know, on race day. So I think it's, it's that piece is really important. And then also how we fuel during is incredibly important we all know we have a million options of what we can fuel with during runs and races. So we want to find what works for us. And, you know, that's going to take some practice in training, but there's some really fascinating research coming out both from just top marathon performers, but also from some of those continuous glucose monitors that look at like, what's our body doing with fuel behind the scenes. And what we're finding is most of us can perform significantly better if we push up how many grams of carbohydrates we're taking in per hour so i'm personally still playing with like what does that look like for me um and you know we know people like kipchoge are taking a hundred grams of carbs an hour you know what i mean so like we have the ability to take in a lot more than most of us do so it's just kind of this interesting play to try to figure out like how do we do that
0: Yeah. And I think it's also, well, fueled ironically by the fact that a lot of people start running because we want to lose weight. We want to maintain a certain weight and we're thinking, okay, we're putting miles in, in order to burn calories, but then on the flip side, we're eating more too. Mm
2: -hmm. And, you know, the one thing that I help people with that is first of all, like separating performance goals from weight loss goals, right? Like in an ideal world, we would take time for body composition and then we would take a different time for performance right in an ideal world but there are a lot of people that try to kind of balance it all or you know lose a couple pounds while they're training so if you are one of those people listening i always say like the best thing we can do to keep ourselves healthy and to not impact performance is to fuel like a boss like around our runs so don't sacrifice before during and after like that's probably the most important place to make sure that we're fueling well. Um, And then if we need to skim off a little bit off lunch and dinner and, or like cut out a snack somewhere, I mean, that would make more sense. Whereas I think like you're saying, a lot of us are like, well, I just won't fuel during my run. I'm trying to burn calories here. Right. But increases risk of injury. It screws up our hormones. Our fitness takes a tank, you know, so it's really kind of just changing how we look at fueling.
0: Yeah. Okay. I guess, you know, with that, let me ask you a little bit about the whole fat adapted running, fat adaptive Mm -hmm. running and uh, running fasted and all that. Maybe you can go into that with that because you yourself, you fuel before you run. And so Mm -hmm. are there certain runs we should fuel, should not fuel, or what would be a good habit?
2: So I very much preach that we need to be eating before all runs. And people are like, even a three mile run? I'm like, even a three mile run? It's just scaling how much, right? Like the more we're running or the more intense we're running, if it's a workout, the more fuel our body's going to torch. So- and where this comes from is there's some research that shows as athletes, if we dig ourselves too deep in a caloric deficit, right? So if we don't eat, we go for a 10 mile run, we come home, we wait two hours to eat. We have dug ourselves into a massive caloric deficit, especially if it's first thing in the morning where we've already dug a deficit overnight, right? And then we haven't eaten, we go for a run. And we know that those those huge valleys of like nutrition deficits, really take a hit on our overall health increases our injury risks. Like I was saying about hormones and not just for females, for males as well. So I really try to get people in the habit of like having something before they run, because if we eat even just a little bit of something, our body's like, oh, you're giving me fuel. Cool. Let's go perform. Whereas if we're not necessarily eating, it really increases our stress response to that run, which some people I'm sure, you know, people listening, people that, you know, are out there run fasted, right? And they're like, I've been fine. And some people might get away with it for a short period of time for a long period of time. But like when we're really looking at incorporating running and nutrition for like long term health, like I really try to make sure like I had said before that we're eating something to to give our body what it needs when it needs it.
0: Okay. Yeah. Thank you for uh, clarifying that. That makes a lot of (laughs) sense. And I like what you said about fueling around our runs. And then, you know, if we have to take something out from the dinner time and and that sort of thing. So um, let me ask you about gluten sensitivity in runners. And then in the context of marathon training, what are some options for people that have gluten sensitivity that are non-yogurt?
2: Yeah. So with gluten, I think... You know, I have a lot of people that are like, you want me to carb load? I can't eat gluten. How am I going to carb load? So I think sometimes it's like looking at what foods are gluten-free and what ones we can kind of add in that we need to if we are have an allergy to gluten or like you're saying, if we have like a sensitivity to it, um, which could be defined a million different ways. But um, you know, what I try to do is like, what are some of the natural sources that don't have gluten? Like rice is a great one. Um, You know, fruit like bananas, those types of things are other good ones. And then two, we have a million gluten-free products out there now um, that we can choose from. So there's bread, there's bagels, there's crackers, like anything that would have gluten we can find without it. So it's just kind of building around like what works for you. And I often see if someone has decided or needed to go gluten free, that they just don't get enough total nutrition into support their running because there's a little bit of a fear, right? Like, oh, I don't know what I can eat, so they just don't they they pull back a lot of the carbs they used to eat, and then there's none left because they haven't looked for a new options. So sometimes it just takes some time to find some of those new options and you know what works but it's doable.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, and absolutely that kind of goes hand in hand with my vegan question that I'd written down about having a well-rounded plate. What does that look like for vegan runners? What are some clean sources of protein that you recommend? And also let's talk a little bit about supplements because we all know B12 is one of them, but what else is there specifically for runners training marathons?
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, I have quite a few handful of vegan runners that I work with. And so, I mean, there's plenty of people that are choosing whether from an ethical standpoint or a preference that they don't want to consume animal products, right? So the one thing that I'm always very cautious of is when we look at plant-based proteins, they're often a little bit deficient in an amino acid called leucine. So leucine is what triggers our muscles to recover. So we have to be very thoughtful about our protein sources as plant-based or vegan athletes to make sure we're getting enough. So especially for some of my smaller female runners, I'm like the quantity of food we're eating, we're just not getting that high quality protein that we need to really recover our muscles. So a lot of times I just like really make sure that we're getting those types of things, which for when we're thinking about like the quality, right? Like lentils are an amazing source of protein, like beans are as well, but lentils are even higher and they have more iron and they have more leucine. So like, Whether it's red lentils or um, green lentils or like lentil based pastas, lentil based crackers, things like that are a great option. And then I'm a huge proponent of soy. So like tofu, tempeh, edamame, those types of things. Soy is a really good quality plant based protein source that a lot of people shy away from in the past, but I don't think we necessarily need to.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that because I see some products that people have, and they even print on them, "This is a soy-free product." Kind of almost like advertising it as if soy is something negative. And then we hear about man boobs and all that. So maybe (laughs) talk about soy and uh, why it's not as bad as you know we talk about. Well,
2: and if we're thinking about like a vegan athlete, I mean, we can't limit another protein source. It's kind of where my mind goes unnecessarily. If somebody is allergic to soy of course, we're not going to be pushing that or eating that. But we did see a real big push of people staying away from soy because it is a quote unquote, a phytoestrogen. So people were saying like, you're saying like, oh, it's going to give men man boobs. and But when we really look at the research, it does not. They would have to consume an ungodly amount of soy protein, which I've never seen happen. And the research has never seen happen. Um, So it's, it's totally safe, right? It's, it's definitely a myth that's out there that we should stay away from soy protein. Like I said, when we look at, they've done tons of really interesting studies that look at muscle protein synthesis, which is basically muscle recovery. And they've done whey versus, uh, or like whey isolate versus like casein, right? Which is like a slower digesting milk protein and then soy and like soy is the closest to being able to recover our muscles to any, you know, plant based proteins. So it is a really, really good option. But like we're seeing, like, I don't ever see anyone using soy protein powder anymore. It's always like pea protein, you know? So we have seen that preferences of what people choose has definitely been impacted by some of those myths that are out there. But, you know, I think it's still a great option for men and women who are plant based.
0: Yeah. I like that you say that. I think men just out of principle, even uninformedly, just don't buy it anymore because it's soy <laughs> and it's estrogen. Yeah, yeah. So they stay away from that. <laughs> right. 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 All right. So um, with that, let's talk a little bit about coffee intake and let's explore the benefits and considerations for coffee intake when you're fasted versus not fasted. And then the role of coffee in pre-raised nutrition um, and its effect on the
2: cortisol release. So, I mean, taking a step back from some of the details there, caffeine is one of the best legal performance enhancers out there, honestly. Like, caffeine can really aid in performance. Before I go too deep in there, we all have different... um, I'm, I'm genetics behind how we metabolize caffeine. So there are some people who don't respond well to it, and there's are people who just don't respond, like our non-responders. So if someone's listening and they're like, "I can't do coffee. Caffeine makes me jittering crazy," like they just need to ignore this conversation. But the most most people metabolize caffeine in a way that improves performance, which means that. We- our perceived effort is lower so we can run faster than it feels right. And then we have some mental toughness when we have caffeine on board. So like being able to hold that hurt at the end of a race, caffeine can help with that. Um, So there are, you know, some really good things to having some caffeine on board, which could be like you're saying coffee before a run, it could be caffeinated products during a run. Um, So there are definitely some benefits to that. Um, Now, There is also some like, okay research, but not amazing research on drinking coffee before we're eating. And the stress response, I think is what you're mentioning. So I'm, I'm totally fine with people drinking coffee before they run. Like there are some dietitians out there that are like, absolutely not. You have to eat first and drink your coffee after. I personally think as long as you're fueling before a run, if you're drinking coffee, you're going to be fine. You know, that's, that's my personal take on this. But if someone is turning to coffee, because caffeine and coffee are an appetite suppressant. So we often see people turning to coffee instead of food for this false energy, because caffeine is not true energy. It just fakes our brain into thinking that we're awake and we're alert. And when we're hungry, we're tired and we're dragging. Right. So like a lot of times we see people cover up true hunger with caffeine. So In that case, obviously, I think it can be a problem. But if it's being put in with a well-designed nutrition plan, I think it's totally fine.
0: Okay. And when you fuel yourself during your marathons, do you take caffeinated gels?
2: And then what happens to your body when you do? Yes, I absolutely do. So I always have coffee and grams before, like, that's just my thing. That's what I always do. But then I also take two of the Morton caffeinated gels um, during my races. And I literally think they're rocket fuel. Like I I think they hit different. I think like I'm, I'm like sold on them because they have a hundred milligrams. So caffeine is weight-based. So we want anywhere from like three to five milligrams per kilogram of body weight. So for me, that's like two to 300 milligrams of caffeine. So I, I like to air. i I'm not a risk taker. I err on like the lower end. So I just take two. And then when we take caffeine, it takes a full hour to absorb it fully in our bloodstream. We might feel it before then, but like to fully peak, it's like an hour and then it hangs in our bloodstream for about an hour. So for example, when I'm just under three hours for a marathon, my um, caffeine gels are always at the start so that it it peaks at one hour and hangs till two. And then I take my second caffeinated gel at one hour so that it hits at two and hangs till the end. So like, I'm kind of strategic with like where I take them to make sure that they're hitting in that last two hours, which is where you need it, right, of of like a tougher race.
0: That's cool. That's uh, really interesting. I've heard a lot of people taking it towards the end of the race, but it's kind of interesting to know how long it hangs around and what the effects could really be. So that's cool. Thank you for sharing that. And then um my last question, oh, I guess I have a couple more. Let's talk about hydration strategies for runners, um, the importance of proper hydration during training and races, and then the electrolyte balance and, you know, electrolytes, depending on different weather conditions. I live in Florida. You live somewhere cold. I see that in your Instagram posts. So let's talk about
2: yeah. that a little bit. So I'm super passionate about hydration for, for runners because I'm a very heavy sweater and I've done it very wrong in the past. So I understand like how awful running can feel if we're getting too dehydrated, if we're not getting enough sodium. So we actually went on a summer hydration tour this summer and went to like the hottest cities. We were down at Miami. I don't know where you are in Florida, but, um, we went, it was unbelievable. We were running in like 110 degrees and I'm in Ohio. So that doesn't happen here. And it was crazy. But anyways, I digress. So very important from from a hydration standpoint, but it also varies because our sweat rate and our sweat composition um, is genetic. So some of us sweat like crazy. Some of us don't. Some of us are very, very salty and some of us are not. So it really does take an individualized plan to figure out like, what do we need? So, I needed a lot of salt, and I need a lot of fluid because I sweat a lot, you know, and when I ran Berlin, it was like high fifties low sixties, which for me is too hot for an optimal marathon weather, like I like forties, so I knew I was going to need to refill with my scratch, which is higher in sodium, you know, so personally, as we're training, I think we can learn about how our body responds in different environments. And what do we need to be successful? Because what ends up happening is if we get too dehydrated, or we lose too much sodium, we can have GI issues, our performance decreases, we can get cramps, Um, some people get a little bit disoriented. So, you know, we want to know, like, what is our signal that we're getting dehydrated so that we can Play with that and training a little bit more. And I think it's important that it's not just water, it's also salt. So it's, you know, trying to make sure that we're balancing those two things. I've seen a lot of people since Morton has been more popular that just use water on the course and Morton and they can't figure out why their performance is tanking. And it's because they're heavy sweaters and they're getting zero sodium in there, you know. And then we add some salt tabs in or we play around with high sodium electrolyte drinks and their performance is better. So I think it's really important, like when I'm developing a plan for people that it's, we need carbs, we need sodium, and we need fluid. So we have lots of options of how we get those three elements in, but we want to make sure that we're getting the appropriate amount to be able to support our performance.
0: I love it. Interesting, yeah, and and I guess that's you know, like you said, it's kind of more of a individualized approach and testing different things out. But you know, we've got sixteen to eighteen weeks prior to the right. marathon to to play with that and figure
2: that out. So that's good. A different weather, you know, that hits us throughout that training block. And yeah, yeah,
0: yeah no kidding. Uh, I I think just the hardest part is if you are training somewhere, like for example, Olympic trials are going to be in Florida, and you have a lot of people training somewhere completely different, and it's winter time, and then. You come down here and while the weather might be good for some people, quote unquote, you know, they'll get hit with the humidity, which we don't notice anymore because we've been
2: conditioned to it, but others don't. So that's uh, one of those tough ones. Right. Exactly. When I have a few athletes that are running in the trials and I have them doing what I call like a sweat rate test in different weather and different environments. So we can figure out, so they're just weighing in and out so we can figure out like how much sweat are they losing so that we can watch the weather in Orlando so that we know how to tailor what's in their bottles out there. How much fluid do we need to be aiming to make sure? Cause it is, it's going to be a, it could be, you know, this better than I do down in Florida, but it could be an okay weather day, or it could be crazy warm and humid. You know, so it's just, you know, we want to make sure that we have the data on these runners that are looking to do like epic performances out there um, so that their bodies are ready with, okay, I can dial the sodium up in these bottles or I'm okay with this, or I need more fluid at this mile, you know, that kind of stuff.
0: you know, no kidding. So how do you do, just out of curiosity, how do
2: sweat rate tests work? Is it just one of those things you stick in your arm or... So there's the sweat rate and then the sweat composition. So sweat rate is super easy. You literally just weigh in and out around your run. I have a calculator on my website that you plug in all the information from your run. So like your weights, um, the duration, and then if you drank anything, and it's going to tell you like how many ounces you lose an hour. So that one's actually fairly easy as long as you have a scale. But then the sweat composition, we'd have to bring in like another company. But like you're saying, there's some patches out there there's some companies that you actually don't have to run they just put some electrodes and like stimulate your sweat and then they tell you you know what your sweat composition is um so i do have i use a lot of those types of devices for people that have really struggled in the heat or have not figured out their hydration or are fearful of adding in more sodium, which I see a lot, right? Like salt's bad. I'm not supposed to eat salt. And I'm telling them to take like two grams extra a day. So if we had that data to show you, you're losing 3000 milligrams of sodium an hour, they're like, oh shoot, I got to change something. You know? So sometimes we need those numbers to really activate change.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's so interesting how your body craves it. Like in the summertime here, for example, when I go for a run and I come back, I make my Gatorade and I literally pour sea salt in it and I shake it up and I'll drink it. And if i didn't finish drinking it, I come out after the shower and I taste it and it just tastes completely awful, you know, completely different than just 10 minutes ago. So it's, it's interesting stuff. You know, nutrition is kind of the hidden, thing like mental training, you can't really pinpoint what's going on in your mind, how strong you're going to be. And then same, you know, you know how much you weigh, but you don't really know how well fueled you are. Mm
2: hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I always think it'd be funny if we had like a fuel gauge in us, but we don't, you know, to look at like glycogen stores and like blood sugar. And we don't, and that's probably more information than we need, right? We just need to practice and notice how we feel and adjust, you know, based off of that. But um, yeah, it is great. And, you know, to your salt cravings I think that's great like some people never notice that type of thing but like if we do notice that we're having salt cravings when we're sweating more like we need more salt right that's something to lean into or you're craving salty foods when you're training in the heat like great eat more of them because it's we're going to rehydrate faster and perform better and bounce back you know if we're getting replacing the, the fluid and the sodium that we're losing in sweat
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Yeah, thank you, Megan, so much for coming on. And uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your business, what you do, how you help athletes, you know, besides what we already know. And then let us know how
2: we can find you online. That would be awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, I could talk nutrition all day long. There's so many things, obviously, here that we. need to know as runners. Um, but I am on Instagram as featherstone nutrition, and I give, I put out tons of free resources. Like I'm very passionate about that. If you know, you don't pay me a cent, you can still absorb so many things. Cause I think it's just so important for us as runners and our health and our performance just to know a little bit more. So there's tons of free resources there, as you mentioned, um, recipes on my website to make eating well, for running easier. Um, So whether it's you or your spouse, you know, you can you can get in the kitchen there and have some ideas. Um, And then as far as how I work with runners, I do work with runners one-on-one. Unfortunately, I have a very, very, very long wait list because it's only me (laughs) that works one on one with people. And so I also have some group coaching. So we have a, a group starting in January for all spring races and then one specific to Boston as well. Um, and then I have some different online like on demand type programs if you like to learn on your own and you want to absorb information and all the tools to help you utilize what you're learning on there. So lots of different options if you're interested in um you know, really honing in on either daily or performance nutrition or both. So it's just featherstonenutrition.com or featherstonenutrition on Instagram.
0: Thank you, Megan, for
2: coming on and
0: speaking with us and answering our questions. I had a lot of fun talking with you. And like I said earlier, uh, prematurely, let's hope that we can get you back on the podcast sometime. No pressure.
1: (laughs) I think nutrition is always a good topic. I think... It's really important and maybe overlook sometimes.
0: Definitely interesting stuff.
1: So what do we have on tap for next week?
0: Yeah, so next week we're going to talk about training for a fast mile and how that incorporated into your marathon training can make you ultimately a faster runner. So definitely tune in for that. That's going to be the New Year's episode because it's kind of a double whammy at the end of this year. We got a Christmas episode and a New Year's episode. So here we are. So with that... Have a great rest of your Christmas holiday. Enjoy the week of, I guess, limbo. I call it the limbo week because you're kind of in between Christmas and New Year's. So enjoy that week. Have a very Merry Christmas.
1: And a good week of running.
0: Thanks for tuning in. For more information and marathon running news, please head to www.marathonrunningpodcast.com and we'll be back next week.